turn now to Ephesians chapter 1 and starting at verse 3. I take a deep breath for this one, because this is how Paul did it. It's just like an outpouring in one sentence. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, <laughs> blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of his glo- uh, to the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven, things on earth. Uh, on the earth. In him we also have re- obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. <laughs> that is all one sentence in the Greek. That's how Paul would have spoken it to the person writing it down, scrawling, trying to get it all down in one go. <laughs> Did very well, didn't he? <laughs> These verses are just an outpouring of lavish praise to God for all that he's done for us through Jesus the Messiah. It's as if Paul can't get the words out quickly enough, and so he packs his sentence in the Greek, as I say, it's one sentence, full of phrases to express what's in his heart. He starts by blessing or praising God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. His starting point is to say, look, God is fantastic. Let's praise him. Let's worship him. Let's honor him. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can bless God, you know. You can, you can be a blessing to God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in doing so, here. Um, he reminds us that all that comes to us, all that is to follow in the subsequent verses, does so only through one means, through Jesus. Through Jesus. He is the means of all of the blessing of God coming to us. He is the, the thing on which the whole thing pivots. He's the one who is the, um, the vessel through which all the blessing of God comes to us. And Paul summarizes what's to come in this phrase. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms. God, through Christ, has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus in the heavenly realms. Do you know you can't be more blessed than you are right now? You can't be any more blessed. Do you feel blessed this morning? Well, whether you feel it or not, you are blessed. You're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. There's nothing more that God can make available to you. All we have to do is firstly believe it. And secondly, appropriate it, walk in it, grab it, hold it, draw it to ourselves and walk out in the good of it. You're blessed this morning. More blessed than you can ever understand. More blessed than right now you can grasp hold of. But if you begin to get an inkling of all that God has done for you in Christ Jesus and grab hold of it, then your life will be transformed. Blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms.
And effectively in this verse, verse 3, Paul is telling us that all that heaven has to offer in terms of blessing has been made available to us. It comes to us because the Father's poured it out. And it's made available to us because of what Jesus achieved on the cross and in the resurrection. And then having summarized it in that way, he goes on to explain it a bit more. He says that in Christ Jesus, God has blessed us in the Messiah. He's chosen us in him. He's ordained us through him for adoption as sons. He's poured out grace on us. He's given us redemption. He set out his plan in Christ Jesus. He stated his intention to sum everything up in him. He's given us hope in him. He sealed us with his spirit as the guarantee of what's to come. Wow. We're going to unpack some of that stuff. So if you haven't quite grasped it yet, there's time. These verses, these verses 3 to 14, fall into three discrete sections. Although one bounces and bumps into another. Verse 4 to 6, four to six remind us that God's people, those who are in Christ Jesus, are chosen by grace. Verse 7 to 10 reminds us of the work of the cross and what it will ultimately achieve. And verse 11 to 14 speaks about our destiny as a result of all this. And we'll look at those three sections in more detail. Just before we do so, however, I need to say that when you read Paul, you have to do so with one ear listening for echoes of what's in the Old Testament. Often we don't do that. Often we don't do that. We just read what's on the page. But all the time, he's e- there's an echo coming through. This is what happened in the Old Testament. This is how it applies to you. And this passage is no different. Paul never says anything without drawing on the great narrative of the people of Israel. And how that narrative is continuing through all that Jesus has done, as we shall see. We also need to note that Paul's emphasis is on grace here. Everything comes to us through God's grace. Everything is only available, not because we deserve it, but because of his unmerited, poured out, undeserved favour that comes to us. So let's start with verses 4 to 6. In Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. The key theme in these verses is God's foreordained choice and adoption through grace that was poured out upon us through Christ Jesus. And in order to understand what Paul is saying here, we need to go back to Abraham and God's choice of him and the people of Israel. In Genesis 12, 1-5, God looked down on a man named Abraham and he called him. And Abraham received a revelation from God, telling him to get up from where he was, take his family, go from his home, and go to a new place, as a result of which God would bless him and make him a great nation. And Abraham listened to God, and Abraham went in faith. And although he didn't see all of the promise fulfilled in his own lifetime, 
His obedience was the guarantee of the promise being fulfilled. God, in his foreknowledge from before creation, chose Abraham through whom he would work out his purposes. The question is, why did God choose Abraham? The answer is, we have no idea. God could have chosen anyone to fulfill his purposes, but he didn't. He chose this man who was flawed. A man who lied twice about his wife, who slept with his servant girl and fell out with his nephew. Abraham wasn't chosen because he was perfect. He was chosen because in the foreknowledge of God, God looked through time from before creation and said, I'll have him. He might not have been the choice of you and I, through whom God would ultimately bring about salvation to the world. But he was God's choice. So we can ask the same question of ourselves. Why did God choose me? Why did God choose you? I must admit, I have that question myself sometimes. (laughs) About me. (laughs) We could have a whole discussion here concerning predestination. All I would say at this point is that somewhere, God's foreknowledge and your free will kissed, which has resulted in you coming to faith. Therefore, in some way, God looked ahead through the mists of time before anything was created. And of course, God is outside of time, so he already knew what would happen. And he saw you and said, I will choose him. I will choose her. Peter, you're chosen this morning. You were chosen before the foundation of the world. Heather, you were chosen this morning. Ben, you were chosen this morning. I could go to everybody. Lucy, you were chosen this morning. Not chosen this morning, chosen before the foundation of the world by God in his foreknowledge. And everybody here, you were chosen. You were handpicked. You were foreordained. Out of the knowledge of God, he looked through the mists of time and said, I'll have him, I'll have her. That's a privilege. Now, that whole subject is a very complicated theological minefield, which we won't go into the other side of it, of why God didn't choose others. But just be thankful, be blessed, that we have been called and chosen. You were chosen to be holy, it says, that's clean and set apart for service. And you were also chosen to be blameless, without guilt, in Christ Jesus. He chose you that you might be holy and be set apart for service. And he chose you that you might be guilt free. And that's your inheritance, to walk in the truth of that and the good of that. We may not understand God's choice, why this person is saved and why that person isn't. All we can do is thank God that we've come into the wonderful experience of salvation and seek to make the message of salvation known to all that we come across. He then says, you are also chosen to be adopted as a child of the living God. 
You were chosen to be adopted. The Greek word, huiothesia, is very strong. It's stronger than our idea of adoption. It draws on the Roman notion of adoption. And in that notion, the adopted one became, in the eyes of the law, a new creation, a new creature. They ceased to be what they were before they were adopted. And they became a newly created being with this new name and this new family. That's the meaning of of the adoption that Paul uses here. That person was born again into a new family and received all the rights and privileges of a natural child. In the same way, in coming to faith, our status has completely changed. We were disinherited and outside of the family of God because of rebellion and sin. But through Christ Jesus, God has restored us to full membership of his family and given us all that goes with that, including an inheritance. And he was pleased to do it. You're not an orphan anymore. You're adopted. But more than that, you're a new creation, a new creature with a new beginning and a new family and a new inheritance for the future. Everything is changed. All that's past is gone. Behold, I make everything new. And God didn't do it begrudgingly. He didn't sort of come to, we didn't sort of come to him with our heads down, bowed, and he just sort of said, get in there. He throws his arms wide open and says, come, welcome back. I've missed you. I love you. Come back into my family. Be all that I intended you to be. He pours his grace upon us. And everything we have in the new birth is a gift from God. He doesn't dribble it out. He pours it out lavishly. And then we come into verse 7 to 10. In him we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. It's probably one of the most difficult sentences to read in in the whole of Paul's writing, but we'll try and unpack it this morning. The key word in this section is the word redemption. Redemption. And here again we have a reference back to the Old Testament narrative. We've moved on from God's choice of Abraham to God's deliverance of Israel from Egypt. The word redemption has very specific meaning in the Bible with reference to the freeing of a slave. And the picture is of Israel being freed from slavery in Egypt. And immediately Paul reminds us that our redemption is through the blood price being paid. And this is a reference again back to the Passover, which heralded the release of Israel from bondage. And Paul is saying, just like Israel was redeemed and set free from slavery and given a promise and given a land and given an inheritance, so you have been set free from slavery to sin and to death and you've been delivered from that slavery and brought out by God through the blood of Jesus and you've come out of that bondage and you've got a destiny, an inheritance, a heritage, an inheritance and a future because of what Jesus has done. 
And these events were the launch of the nation of Israel from slavery into receiving the inheritance promised to Abraham, the promised land. And Paul uses this same language to identify what has happened and is happening to us. We've been set free from slavery to sin through the blood of the cross. The slate has been wiped clean. We are no longer servants of our old master's sin and death. This has all come about by God's grace which, and results in us coming into our inheritance. Just as Israel came into theirs, they went through the wilderness and finally came into the promised land. So God is leading us to somewhere to inherit all that he has for us. There is a difference, however. Israel's inheritance was a small, smash, small patch of land in the Middle East, which is still being fought over today. The inheritance that we have is much bigger than that. And Paul tells us that up until this time, nobody had grasped what God really had in his mind when he called Abraham. It wasn't just about a small patch of land in the Middle East, but about bringing all things back under his rule. And this was the purpose of Christ coming to earth. It wasn't just about rescuing a small group of people and whipping them off to heaven. It was about bringing the kingdom rule of heaven to, to earth. It was about changing everything. Your destiny, I keep saying this, I know, and please forgive me for keep repeating myself, but I'll do so until we get it. Your destiny is not heaven. Your destiny is to rule with Christ on earth. And that's why Christ came, to set us free from bondage to sin, death and slavery. And our individual salvation, you being saved, you being brought into relationship with God, is part of that great plan. That's what Paul is saying. Your redemption is part of God's plan to bring all things back under Christ's authority. Things in heaven and things on earth. And as we submit our lives to him and make choices to live under his rule, so the kingdom of God comes to earth. I'll say that again. As we submit our lives to him and make choices to live for him and under his rule, so the kingdom of God comes to earth. What you do has cosmic significance. It's not just about our tiny lives. It's about bringing the kingdom to earth. Sometimes I think we're too egocentric when we think about what Jesus has done on the cross. We express it in terms of my sin, my redemption. Of course that's true. But we fail to see that it's not just about me. It's about him and his plans and his intentions. It's his plans that are being worked out through our salvation. We're not saved just so we can feel good. Or so that we can have a relationship with the Father. Or even just so that we can avoid hell. True though that those, though those things might be. We are saved for purpose. To bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. And prepare the world for its rightful ruler. That's the task we have to complete. And we need to get on with it. And stop just thinking about ourselves. And fulfilling our needs. Because it's not about us. It's about him. I think I'm preaching again, aren't I? Verse 11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, 
to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. In this last section, Paul reiterates what he's already said, and then brings it back to where we are right now. He starts by saying that his choosing of us is part of the plan of God, who is working out his plans on the earth. Before the creation of the world, God had a plan for how things would work out. And you were part of that plan. That's why he says in Ephesians 2.10, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared in advance that we should do. God hasn't just chosen us, he's also prepared things that we've got to do during our lifetime to help fulfill his plan for the earth to bring all things back under his rule and reign. God's got a destiny for you. God's got purpose for you to fulfill. You and I have a choice every day. Am I going to do what I want to do? Or am I going to fulfill what God has called me to do? And, and fill in that piece of the plan that he has just for me. He's prepared things for us to do. And all of those things contribute to his plan being fulfilled in the earth. God has a list of tasks for you to complete. He has a destiny that only you can fulfill. And as you get onto God's agenda in your life, so you contribute to the great plan for the universe that God handed his mind before anything was made. So your choices, my choices, my actions have cosmic significance beyond anything we will ever understand in this life. And that's so imp- why it's so important that we don't just live for ourselves or to accumulate material stuff or even just for our children. We have a contribution to make to God's plan of the ages. Every one of us, without exception. And then he says, it doesn't matter if you came to faith as one of the apostles in the first century, in the second century, or in the 21st century. You are all included in Christ. And that is the newly constituted family of God, through whom God is working out his purposes on the earth. So how do we know that all this is happening and is going to happen? He then says, you know it because you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the deposit God's given you to guarantee your future. Until such time as we receive full redemption. If you have the Spirit this morning, that's the per promise to you. That's the, the affirmation. That's the piece of paper that you've got in your hand saying, yep. God's going to fulfill his plans and purposes in me, with me, and through me. If you haven't got the spirit, I suggest you go and get prayed for. It starts with giving your life to God. But if you've got the spirit this morning, he is the guarantee of our inheritance in Christ Jesus. Until such time as we receive our full redemption. What does that mean? It means that one day it will not just be our spirits and our souls that will be redeemed but our bodies too. And we will receive our resurrection body and therefore triumph over bondage to sin and death. And the guarantee that that will happen is that right now we have the Holy Spirit who's transforming us and preparing us for that eternity. And once more, we have a reference here back to the Exodus story. 
It was the presence of God in the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud, which was with the people, which guided them into their inheritance in the promised land. In the same way, the Holy Spirit is with us, individually and collectively. And it's his presence with us that is the guarantee that we will come into our inheritance, both the redemption of our bodies and the redemption of the world. The Holy Spirit is with you, like that pillar of fire and pillar of cloud, to guide you into God's purposes, to protect you against the heat and the storm, and to take you into all that God has for you. And whilst we've not yet come into the fullness of our inheritance, we still struggle daily, both with the failings of our mortal bodies and with the living in a fallen, corrupt world. The Spirit's presence with us is the guarantee that it will not always be thus, and that we will come into that which God has promised us, and that which he is working in this world to achieve. And then he says, all this is ultimately to the praise of his glory. So God has blessed us in every way by his grace. He has chosen us. He has saved us. He's taken us forward into our destiny. And each one of us has a part to play in his plan. And we know that that plan will be successfully completed because the Holy Spirit is with us as a guarantee. It's time to start living in the good of all that God has done for us, is doing for us, and will do for us in this world. Amen. Got nothing better for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, for the truth. And I pray, Lord God, that that will grasp us in such a way that it will transform us. And that, Lord God, daily we will make choices that will seek to fulfill your purpose, your calling. And also to give glory to you. Bless us as your people, Lord, we pray. May we fulfill in our generation what you called us to. And may your presence go with us by the power of your spirit. Amen.